when Jesus called them, they responded, all of the twelve, and they started to follow Jesus. But, so these were the men that were handpicked of God. These were the men that were going to start the church. These were the men that had been specifically chosen to carry on what Jesus was going to start in this earth. And when we look at the lives of Jesus' disciples and when we look in the Gospels, we see that Jesus' disciples made mistake after mistake after mistake. If we just go through some of them, Matthew chapter 8, 23 to 27, the disciples didn't have faith as the boat began to sink. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33, Peter walked on water but started to sink because of a lack of faith. Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 to 20, the disciples didn't understand simple spiritual truths where Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 to 12, once again the disciples were called, O ye of little faith, after they didn't realize that Jesus was talking spiritually about the leaving of the Pharisees and not because they had forgotten to bring bread. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus attributes the inspiration behind it to Satan himself. There's, there's an uplifting experience for you. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. Peter talks about worshipping a trinity, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and is corrected by God himself. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 21. The disciples couldn't cast out devils because of their unbelief and lack of prayer and fasting. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. The disciples dispute between themselves who will be the greatest. Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 40. The disciples rebuke someone casting out devils in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. The Samaritans don't receive Jesus, and James and John wanted to command fire down from heaven to consume them. Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. Peter lies to a tax collector, and Jesus has to make it right. Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. The disciples try to prevent children from coming to Jesus and rebuke the parents for doing so. And Jesus has to make that right. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 24. James and John hire their mother to try to get the highest position among the disciples of Jesus. That's pretty low. Matthew 26, verses 6 to 13. The disciples had indignation against the woman who broke the alabaster box and anointed Jesus. They didn't realize the reason why it was being done. John chapter 13, verses 4 to 20. Peter tries to stop Jesus from washing his feet. John chapter 14, verses 8 to 14. Philip doesn't realize that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. The disciples couldn't stay awake and pray at the most important of times when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 to 50. One of Jesus' disciples betrays him to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 26, verses 51 to 54. Peter tries to use violence to deliver Jesus from the Pharisees. 
Matthew chapter 26 verses 55 to 56. All the disciples run away so that they don't share the same fate as Jesus. Matthew chapter 26 verses 69 to 75. Peter denies Jesus three times. Mark chapter 16 verses 9 to 14. The 11 disciples didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead and Jesus upbraids them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. I'm talking about a mess of mistakes this morning. See, the disciples, we went through a whole list of Jesus' disciples making mistake after mistake after mistake. Jesus was continually correcting his disciples. What's interesting is that they seem to make more mistakes toward the end of Jesus' ministry than at the beginning. If you have, if you, um, had been taking note, you would notice that most of the, the chapters that those examples are coming from are towards the end of the books. They spend all of their time in Jesus' presence, hearing his teaching, learning spiritual truths. They spend three and a half years continually with him. And that's a huge amount of time to train and prepare anyone for anything. Surely they were becoming better or even perfect. You would think that. How could you spend so much time in Jesus' presence? Remember that this is God manifest in the flesh. You're in His presence. You're learning stuff from God Himself. And yet, you're still able to make a huge amount of mistakes. How could they spend so much time in Jesus' presence without being completely changed, becoming more and more like Him? So how, especially so close towards Jesus' crucifixion, did they manage to make so many mistakes? Was it because that Jesus now expected more of them? Because of all of the training? Was it because the pressure was on because of opposition that was coming more and more against Jesus from the Pharisees? Whatever the cause, the disciples found themselves making mistake after error after mistake. It's easy to point our fingers at the disciples and say, I would never have made that mistake. If I had been there, if I had been with Jesus, nah, I wouldn't have done that. The truth is that we don't know what we would have done in those same circumstances. It's easy to criticize in hindsight, but much harder to know the right decision to make in the heat of the moment. So, we shouldn't be shocked when people in the church make mistakes either. We're all flesh with strengths and weaknesses in different areas. Just because you're strong in a particular area doesn't mean that you can criticize or judge someone who falls or fails in that same area. People will be just as quick to criticize you in that area where you're weak, but they are strong. See, God has made us unique. God has given us all different strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes that's just part of our personality and other times it's through experiences and other times it's just just through our own flesh that we are weak in particular areas. But God hasn't given us all the same strengths in the same areas or the same weaknesses in the same areas. We're all different. And as a church, as a body, we come together and we complement each other. Just like... Opposites usually attract in marriages because the one, one person sees something in the other 
that they, they don't have themselves and it attracts them to them. And, and, and you find that quite often almost complete opposites will be attracted and marry because there's, there's a, a completion, there's a complement that one person's weaknesses complement, well, strengths complement the other's weaknesses and, and vice versa. And so usually you find that and that as a whole they become one flesh and then that is a greater than the sum of both people on their own. The truth of the matter is that we will all fall or fail at some point in time. Some more spectacularly than others, and some more frequently than others. While we are on this earth, we'll always need the grace of God at one stage or another. You can take that one to the bank. And then that just doesn't stay at the level of just the church body either. Anyone in a position of leadership is going to make mistakes at one time or another for exactly the same reasons. Other times, we can think that people in leadership are making mistakes, but really they're just telling us things that we don't agree with and we don't want to hear. You see, I expect that I personally will make mistakes. I don't expect that I will be perfect. I hate making mistakes. I hate failing. Um, I wish I was perfect. But I know that's not the case, and unfortunately will never be the case until, until I get my glorified body in heaven. But as long as I'm growing in God, I shouldn't need to worry about making mistakes. You see, I don't stand before you today because... I am the best person on this earth. (laughs) Definitely not. I don't stand before you because I'm the greatest orator. I don't stand before you because uh, there was an interview and I was the best at the interview. But I stand before you because God put a call on my life. Just like he called the disciples, God called me. And he called me to serve him. He called me to to be in the position that I am today and because I'm willing to answer that call that doesn't mean that I'm the finished article or that I'm perfect and won't make mistakes I'd love to think that I'm perfect and will always do the best or right thing I'd love to be self-deluded in that way but I know my own frame (laughs) that I'm not anywhere near that But both I and Natalie know that that's very far from the truth. If you want to get a reality check, ask your spouse. The truth is that I'm just a regular human being with my own faults and weaknesses, just like you have your own faults and weaknesses. I'm not talking about sin, just about the fact that while we are on this earth, we will never be perfect or unable to make mistakes. I wish that God, whenever he puts someone in a position of leadership in the church, would somehow make them oracles of knowledge and unable to make mistakes, but that's not how God works. God works with people, not robots. God works with his people to make us more like him. Yes, he does, but it's a process. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all, with open face... 
beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Glass is, is a mirror. A change into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There is a reflection that God wants to put in our lives. And as we, we look at that reflection, as we look at what God wants to do in us, and we allow Him to make us more like that reflection, that image, then we become more like Him. The sad situation is that most people outside the church, and even some people inside the church, seem to think that people in positions of leadership in the church should be infallible, incapable of making errors of judgment or mistakes. And Jesus does lead and guide those in leadership of the church. And he does step in at certain times in miraculously revealing hidden things to church leaders. Yes, God does do that. And it is our responsibility as leaders to be sensitive to the spirit of Jesus revealing things to us. But never having a bad day or never making a mistake is not in God's handbook. It doesn't say that in the Bible, that that's what's going to happen. Believe it or not, it's even possible for the pastor of a church to make mistakes. Yes, they've been around the church for many years, and they're not a novice in following God. Yes, they have the Holy Ghost living inside of them who leads and guides them into all truth. But think about it this way. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Have you been in the church for a while? Do you ever make any mistakes? The answer will be yes. If we're honest with ourselves, we all make mistakes from time to time. There are times when we react in a less than optimal way. Sometimes things can get the better of us and we don't react in the way that we know we should. There are times when we say things that we regret afterwards and there are times that we fail God or fail others that we really and truly regret. But hey, that just makes us human and still in need of the grace of God. The truth is that the pastor and all the leaders in the church are also human like you. I'm sorry to say that our pastor, Brother Simon, wasn't directly molded by the hands of God, forged in the fires of heaven and sent down to earth for the blessing of Northside Pentecostal Church. Unless you've heard something different, of course. But Brother Simon is just a normal man who was molded into a saint and a minister by the power of God, forged in the fires of trials and tribulations and sent over to Perth for the blessing of the Northside Pentecostal Church. Notice the subtle changes which make a world of difference. I know this because I grew up with Brother Simon in the church in Townsville in Queensland, and I watched him grow from just a normal teenager into a minister of God. I saw great change in Brother Simon as he grew. In fact, there was one particular point where it just seemed like he grew so quickly, but that usually doesn't happen there's been a process underneath going on beforehand. And the same goes for everyone else in a position of authority in the church. So if you ever notice a leader or a minister in the church make a mistake, don't be shocked, don't be angry, don't get bitter, and don't hold grudges. Start praying for them if you haven't already. And pray for them even more because the truth is that ministers and leaders are targeted by the enemy of our souls more than the saints in the church. And Satan knows that if he can make a leader fall, even if it's only in the eyes of people around them, that others will fall away out 
of the church. And if he can't seduce or trick them into failure, then he'll work on someone in the church or outside to start a vicious rumor. That's why we shouldn't believe everything we hear, especially if it's directed against the pastor, the ministers, or the church leadership. The Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. John 8.44 says, and he's talking to the Pharisees, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. This was actually the spiritual authority back in those days. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Rumors and gossip are destructive, whether they're true or not. Gossip doesn't necessarily mean that it's false. It usually does, but it doesn't mean that it's false. And rumors, the same thing. But spreading something, whether it's true or not, is destructive. These things undermine the God-given structure and leadership of the church. And that's exactly what Satan wants. If you ever start to hear a rumor, especially against the pastor or church leadership, squash it there and then. Don't listen to it. Let them know that you don't want to hear it, even if they're your best friend. And start praying hard for whoever the rumor is against, because either way, they really need your prayers. If they have done whatever the rumor is, then they're going to need your prayers. And if they haven't, they're going to need your prayers because of the rumor. And if they are in sin or have fallen or failed in some way, God will bring it out in His time. God always does that. But by praying for them, you're not only bringing them before God, you're also saying that you realize that they're just flesh, just like you and me, and we all have the capacity to fail. You're also implicitly saying that even if they fall, you are willing to stand and stay strong because you're looking beyond the situation or the perceived situation. You're looking to uplift, you're looking to strengthen the church, not tear it down or not listen to what's going on around you. If I could get someone to the piano, please. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in our own mess of mistakes. Sometimes we make one mistake and that leads to another. And it seems like we've dug a pit that we can never get out of. That can lead to despair. That can lead to depression. That can lead to hopelessness. And of course, that's what Satan wants us to think. That our mistakes, our failures, and even our sins has made us unworthy to come to God and to come before Him. The reality is that Jesus is always stretching His hand down towards us in compassion. The fact you've made a mistake or failed God in any way or sinned in any way doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. doesn't mean that He doesn't have his hand outstretched. The tongue interpretation this morning that Jesus will be with us no matter what valleys we go through, that is what we're talking about this morning. God has always made a way of escape. God has always made a way for us to be lifted up when we come, when we humble ourselves before him. He's always stretching his hand down towards us in compassion. After all, he knows us better than we know ourselves. 
And he has the unique perspective that means that he knows what it's like to be tempted in all ways, in all forms of temptation. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, to the very depths of our heart, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you've thought. There's nothing that surprises God. (laughs) Because He knows us. He knows our frame. And what's more powerful is that He still wants you. He still wants to give grace and mercy and forgiveness to you no matter what it is that you've done, no matter how far you have fallen. And no matter how many times you have fallen, Jesus stretches out His hand towards you. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let's keep walking with God. Let's keep going. Let's put one step in front of the other. Let's not fall down. Let's not get into despair. Let's not get into depression. Let's just keep walking with Jesus. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So what is he telling us to do? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It doesn't matter how many times you have needed to ask for grace before. It doesn't matter how many times you have fallen. Satan will whisper in your ear that you've failed too many times. God doesn't have a number of his grace. God doesn't say, I'll give you grace for, for 50 times and that's it. You've, you've stretched my grace. That's it. I, I can't help you anymore. But Jesus continually stretches down his hand, his arm to lift you up. He understands our struggles, our weaknesses, and he understands our sins. He hates sin but He wants to deliver you from it. He doesn't accept our sin. He understands our sin and He wants to deliver us from it. But it takes our falling before Him. It takes our surrender to allow Him to do that one more time. And He wants to deliver us from them all, our struggles, our weaknesses and our sins. For those of you who like alliteration, A mess of mistakes made by me means that I must meet the miraculous mercy of the Master. And that's the only antidote to a mess of mistakes. You might feel that you've made a mess of mistakes, that your life, your spiritual life, even your your natural life is just one big mess. But Jesus is here to offer forgiveness, deliverance, and mercy this morning the mercy of the master is the only thing that we need and the only thing that will and can help us in our time of need you shouldn't point your fingers at anybody who makes mistakes or falls because it could well be you that needs mercy next
So, if you could stand. I believe that the Lord is really reaching out to someone this morning. That you think that you failed God too many times. That you think that there's no way back from where you are right now. You might be in the deepest of depression or despair with what's going on in your life. But Jesus is saying, I'll deliver you out of that. I will lift you up again. I will restore you back where you have been. It's it's not the end. It's not the end. But Jesus will give you a new beginning. You just need to respond. You just need to allow him to lift you up again. It can hurt sometimes, I know. There's been a, a time in my life when I made mistake after mistake, sin after sin, the same thing again and again. But Jesus delivered me out of that. And it hurts sometimes to come and repent again and again. But when you do it, he will lift you up. He'll always lift you up. And so the Lord is reaching out to someone this morning. Don't leave it another day. Come and receive your forgiveness. Come and receive what you need from him. Because he's calling out to you this morning. He has everything that you need. He has everything that you need. He loves you so much. Don't don't let it end here. So I invite you to come to the altar this morning. Jesus loves you.